When I said, this is the word of the Lord, after the Ecclesiastes reading, I saw some people raising their eyebrows rather, (laughs) rather interestingly. Ecclesiastes is a difficult book. And in a way, it would have been much easier to preach on that that gospel uh, reading that we heard where where Herod is is seeking to see Jesus and to know who Jesus really is. But actually, I thought we so infrequently preach on the Old Testament, and uh, this is uh, the set passage for today. So um, here we go. (laughs) Ecclesiastes is, is a difficult book, so it's quite a challenge. It's difficult to translate, it's difficult to interpret, and it's difficult to reconcile, often, with the broader canon of Scripture. The themes are difficult to pin down. There are moments in which the writer seems to be plumbing the depths of despair, and at other times, he appears to encourage the reader to live a full and joyful life. And this has led to commentators on this book to take widely differing views with regards to the overall meaning of the book. And so consequently, Ecclesiastes is often neglected in our personal Bible study. I don't know if any of you have ever read Ecclesiastes in your personal Bible study. Um, And it's even more neglected from the pulpit. But I'm going to have a bit of a go today, just in this very short time. It's quite a a, a lengthy book to read, but um, I'm going to have a bit of a go at at exploring what it might be about, because I do believe that has some very valuable things to say to us. The book begins by introducing the speaker or the writer of Ecclesiastes, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. This is most likely to be King Solomon, considered the wisest of all Israel's kings. And the question for us is how this book has its value for us believers in 2018 in the light of Jesus Christ. I think probably the first thing to note is that Solomon is talking to God's people. He intends his original readers and us to feel the extent of our fall and the futility of the human condition. He concludes that all is vanity, meaning that the pursuits of our daily lives are meaningless. He recognises that although we long to leave something permanent in our wake, such endeavours are futile. And as each generation passes from the earth... The earth continues to revolve on its axis, unmoved. You might find that rather a depressing thought, but uh, bear with me. Now, I know that you've been studying the book of James fairly recently in your, in your church, so um, James picks up on this same point. And it is important to remember that uh, uh, many of Solomon's observations are in fact consistent with the message, with the ho- message of the whole of Scripture. Because James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
Both James and Solomon understand that our life is transient and fleeting, and we are powerless to expend our life by even an hour. And we remember the words of Jesus, which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Our life and our endeavour and our legacy are ultimately beyond our grasp. We come and go and the universe remains. Solomon concludes that this search for significance is futile, vanity, and ultimately meaningless. Secondly, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wants us to feel the weight of the brokenness of creation. He feels, and he wants us to feel, that the vanity that we perceive running through the human condition is imprinted upon the very fabric of creation. The sun rises, the sun sets, and the sun rises again. And yet, fundamentally, nothing changes. Streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full, and still the streams continue to flow. We see endless activity with no resolution. It's difficult to know how to take this, and in approaching such texts, we might quite reasonably ask, well, where is God in all of this? Is Solomon imagining a world where God has lifted his hands from the steering wheel? Is he imagining a world without God, or imagining what the world would look like to an unbeliever? But the Apostle Paul makes reference to the brokenness of creation, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 8. He says the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hope for what hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Another very difficult passage. Both Solomon, Paul, and other New Testament writers understand that there is something very wrong in the world in which we live. And Solomon's conclusion is that as a result, everything is flawed and stained and ruined. And Paul recognises that even in the midst of this futility, works the sovereign hand of God. Now, in our day and age, in all the things that are happening in the world today, we might think Ecclesiastes is a timely book in that it acts as a reality check, a wake-up call. Solomon looks at the world with his eyes wide open as it truly is and calls us to do the same. We live in a crooked world that we cannot by any level of effort make straight. Unstable jobs, orphans, corruption, broken legs, sex trafficking, monthly bills, rainy holidays, broken marriages, chronic back pain, 
slippery roads, severed relationships, racism, and the present death of loved ones. The ever-present death of loved ones. This is our world, and this was the preacher's world. Solomon believes that God is the true creator and innovator, and it is impossible to try and change anything that he has set in motion. This is why Solomon returns again and again to the truth that this is God at work in the act of creation and in the regulation of creation. God's purposes, plans, and holy degrees cannot be thwarted nor frustrated. He is indeed sovereign. So Solomon exhorts us to remember our creator. We do not despair when we see the flawed universe in which we live. We understand that God has made it so when we see this futility and emptiness. And it should draw our eyes elsewhere, looking to something, or more properly, someone else. The preacher of joy was also a realist, and he felt the great evil and stood vexed and frustrated by his inability to understand all of God's purposes. And yet, even in the middle of this, he could still call people to rejoice always in the pleasures of life, and to do so recognising them as a gift of God. And I want especially today to look at the preacher's call to rejoice and to consider how he thought joy was possible in this cursed, crooked and confusing world. So a couple of quotes from Ecclesiastes. I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. You might recognise that phrase. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Enjoy life with the wife you love. The writer, in spite of all the gloom and doom, tells us that light always triumphs over darkness. And even in the midst of blackness, the sun is already making its way to where it will rise again. The preacher reasons it is good to see light, to see the sun, to savour God's goodness. Because encounters with light help us to sustain God-conscious joy all our days and our memory of light nurtures hope for more light as we journey through dark times. Seeing the sun reminds us that light always wins, that morning always comes, that cold is not lasting. With every dawn comes the promise of fresh mercies. So light is sweet because with every glimpse of brilliant and warm grace, we are pushed to have hope, hope for something beyond the night. Past grace nurtures hope in future grace. Solomon says, if God grants that we live many years, and a lot of us here have lived many years looking (laughs) around, we are supposed to be a people who rejoice in them all. There is a time to be born and a time to die. And between these poles, the preacher calls us to rejoice. In times of planting and plucking, killing and healing, weeping and laughing, the preacher calls us to rejoice. 
in times of mourning and dancing, embracing and refraining, seeking and losing, the preacher calls us to rejoice. In times of silence and speaking, loving and hating, war and peace, the preacher calls us to rejoice. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. But in all our many years, come what may, we are called to rejoice. As finite creatures, we are not able to grasp all that God is doing in this world. And sometimes this is deeply troubling to us. But the preacher says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. All of life is an enigma. Yet, in such a context, we must pursue joy, grasping every opportunity we have to see the light of God and using the moments that sustain us through seasons of trial and pain. So the preacher says there are four things that we can do. First of all, choose joy. Choosing to rejoice is easier when the days are bright, like today, but it's much more difficult in the night when our baby will not stop crying, when we learn that our dad has lost his job, or when our cancer reaches stage four. Nevertheless, the first step in experiencing God-conscious joy is to want it. Rejoice in all that is given. Secondly, live wisely, Solomon says. As a believer who is growing in the fear of God, you must trust that the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way, and that a wise man's heart inclines him to the right. Celebrating God as the great giver and knowing that he will hold you accountable, step, step out and follow the desires of your heart. For God has already approved what you do. Step three, cast away cares. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are an enigma. We have to decide, and James said much the same, didn't he? Not to allow the burdens, confusions, vexations and troubles of this life to wear us down. We don't ignore human troubles, but we must not allow them to consume us. Jesus said, do not be anxious about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Father feeds them all. Are you not of more value than they? And Paul said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And step four. Remember your Creator. There is no higher way to maintain our joy than to remember our Creator. 
Don't think of God as someone who only created in the past and is now distant and separated. No, he is right now making, right now upholding all things by the word of his power, moment by moment by moment. And if all this power that we cannot contain, and if all this power that we cannot explain is nevertheless working for us, we need not fear those who can only kill the body but cannot kill the soul. We need not falter in our faith when things go wrong. God is stronger, he is higher, and because of this we have hope. As it says in Colossians, and remember that this one who is working for his glory loves you, and that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope this hasn't been too complicated. (laughs) But in conclusion, let me just summarise the main takeaways for our quest to sustain and maintain God-conscious joy, even in the middle of life's enigmas. First, Ecclesiastes calls us to savour the sweetness of life, when God's goodness and grace are like the warmth and the brightness of the sun on a weary soul. He calls us to maintain God-conscious joy. We choose to rejoice in God and his gifts. We live wisely in the fear of God. We cast our burdens on God, knowing that he cares, and we remember our creator. Just to speak personally, in a very dark time in my life, when my son died, I can remember trying desperately to hold on to that idea that in the end um, God would bring his light back into my life. And I just put that in as a very personal reflection because sometimes it's very difficult to see that when you're in the midst of real trouble and real grief and danger, but it's just holding on to that. In In spite of everything, it's holding on to that, I think. Try to remember what God has done in your past, that he has been true to you, that he has been faithful to you, and you can rest in that confidence that he will work for good for you in the future. Rejoice knowing that God is able to meet you in your pain and that he will let light shine in your life again. It's clear that Solomon wanted us to see the world as it truly is, that we might shun the temptation to make creation or created things our ultimate treasure. And we remember that exhortation of Jesus, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but treasure in heaven. Jesus appeals to the same truth that we find in Ecclesiastes. Earthly things are fleeting, temporary and subject to decay. To make such stuff our treasure is meaningless and it will rot and we will be left with a handful of dust. So how do we lay up treasures in heaven, we might ask of Jesus. And Jesus might well respond by quoting from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. 
Fear God and keep his commandments. So, are you able to see the light of God's goodness today? Are you enjoying God's grace? If so, embrace it, remember it, for it will serve you when the storms come. Or are you in darkness now? You know the Lord is there in all his vastness, but you are struggling to see him. And the preacher encourages us, don't be anxious. Recall the work of God in your past and allow these memories to generate gratitude and hope. He is faithful and will not let you go. Amen.